of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestor with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of, on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because our work of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Thank you, Caleb. It may not look like it, but I come from a long line of boxers in my family. Uh, growing up, my dad would tell me stories about my grandfather, Dornan. Um, my parents, my family migrated from Oklahoma to California, and uh, they, were, they, were, they, were, they picked cotton, they picked fruit as they migrated through, and oftentimes, you know, there'd be a little community of those that would come together and um, pick whatever uh, produce or cotton that they, they did along the way. And uh, my grandfather kind of earned some extra money by fighting, boxing. And I thought it was hilarious that when my dad told me sometimes in the church house, they'd clear out the pews and the chairs and set up like a little boxing area, and my grandfather would box inside the church. So what I want to do this morning, <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but, but my grandfather was a boxer, and I could see it because my grandfather's a big man. He always had huge hands, and I would hate to be clobbered by my grandfather. Well, then my dad, my dad was always a little scrappy growing up. He'd tell me some, you know, scuffles he'd be in in school, and, and uh, my dad was the smallest of all his brothers. My dad's the youngest of seven, and, and my dad always kind of had, I guess, the Napoleon syndrome, you know, being short and scrawny, and, and he was just a fighter. And my dad tried to instill that fighting mentality into my life, and I always considered myself more of a lover <laughs> than a fighter. And, and one particular, I guess I was probably around, I don't know, I'm going to say about 10 years old, 11 years old, and we had a, a bully on our street named, we called him Fat Eddie, and uh, he was big, he was like, you know, twice as big as me, he was huge, and 
You know, I'd always run home because he would just beat up every little kid on the block. And my dad got tired of me running home, you know, crying. So my dad wanted me to learn to fight really quick. So one particular day, uh, Fat Eddie was on the prowl. I was in his targets. And I come running home. Dad saw it happening. And my dad locked the door in the front door. And I went, boom. And my dad, I saw my dad in the window, and he just kind of did this. And I thought, oh, no, I'm going to die. So I, I went, and I tried to, you know, I tried to get up to Fat Eddie, and, you know, I took a couple of swings, but it was like, you know, I just, boom, boom, nothing, you know. Uh, and he just tossed me around like a rag doll, threw me on the ground, sat on me, and was just beginning to beat me until the real fighter of our family showed up, my sister. <laughs> she pulled Fat Eddie off of me, and she said, if anybody's going to hit my brother, it's me. And she whipped him. So my sister was the fighter in our family. I expressed, I guess, you know, fighting more of uh, joining the military that way. But uh, in all seriousness, I, I love to tell that story. It's true. All those things are true. Uh, but, you know, God has some, somehow seemed fit that I enter a different fight. It's a good fight. It's a spiritual fight. One where we take the gospel and we advance God's kingdom in all the world. And it's a spiritual battle. The world opposes the gospel and its work. And, and so I want to encourage you in this, this beginning of this new series to enter the good fight. That God has enlisted us to engage in a spiritual warfare with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is a worthy, worthy fight. I based our series title off the words of the Apostle Paul towards the end of the book of 2 Timothy, where Paul is, you know, he's coming to a time in his life where you feel like it's coming near to the end. He is encouraging his, 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 his son in the ministry, encouraging him to keep on in, in, in all the adversity that Timothy is facing to keep up, and he uses himself as an example, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, I wonder what will be said of us as we come drawing an end to our life. Will we too be able to say that I fought the good fight? That God has helped me to advance His kingdom, that He has allowed me to participate and to, to share and pour into the lives of others the gospel and, and the other aspects of God's Word into their lives, because it's a worthy fight. It is a good fight, one that no matter the adversity we may face, sometimes the uncertainty that we, we encounter, we are to continue and not quit. When life knocks us down, we're to get back up. In fact, there's this photo of Muhammad Ali, that, and he says, life is like a boxing match. Defeat is declared not when you fall, but when you refuse to stand again. As we go out with the gospel, there's going to be times where the world knocks us backwards. Sometimes we'll see something come out of left field and seem to bring us to our knees or flatness on our back. But it's in those moments that we should not just stand or lay still. 
It's time to get back up and continue to march on with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we go through this five-week series, I want to begin to speak to you this morning in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 about to guard or guarding. When I was in the military, I, 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 I was learning the refinement of fighting, hand-to-hand combat. My favorite, though, was pugil sticks. Anybody know what a pugil stick is? It looks like a big, giant cotton swab. And we put helmets on, and we had to go, and we had to, we had to fight each other. Let me just tell you, a good pugil stick up under the chin will flatten you out. But it was fun. But I remember we had this scrawny, little, tiny uh, Puerto Rican uh, drill sergeant, and he was feisty. And he picked the biggest guy out of our unit. He was huge. He goes, I want to fight you. And he took that pugil stick, and he goes, I'm going to teach you how to guard. And, and the guy said, okay. And, the, uh, and our drill sergeant just whacked that big old guy under the chin. He said, you didn't guard too well. Flattened him right back. But I tell you, it never happened again. He took his pugil stick and started guarding, started blocking. And you know what? We need to learn to guard when it comes to adversity that we face in promoting the gospel. We need to learn to guard and not allow the world to knock us back, not to discourage us, not to flatten us on our back. I want you to notice what Paul told Timothy at the end of our text. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Well, what does he mean, guard the deposit? Guard gives the idea to watch over, to be a sentinel, to, to guard a, a perimeter of something that has been invested in Timothy, which is the gospel and the ministry. And so I want us to be able to watch over carefully the truths that have been poured into you and poured into me. People have taken time to teach you and to share with you. We read God's Word and we are soaking it in, the truths of the gospel, and to guard it carefully, not to compromise, not to allow the world to weaken us, but to continue marching forward with the Word of God. So how do we do this? I want to share two things with you this morning in our text. The first is we need to keep it hot, to keep it hot. What exactly do we mean to keep it hot? Well, first of all, Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I want you to understand that, that Timothy was not in a state where he was faltering or he was running away. I, th- I think what Paul, when he writes this letter, he's trying to do some preventive maintenance. As a mentor to young Timothy, and, and Timothy is in amidst this fight, Paul's ending his life, Timothy is in his prime. That for the sake of his, his beloved spiritual child, he's writing him, trying to encourage him to continue fighting, continue marching on, and he tells them to fan into flame, to rekindle, as in some translations, 
the gift that has been imparted to him. At Timothy's ordination, there was a prophecy of some sort that Timothy would indeed bear a spiritual gift. And the spiritual gift, there's, there's really no idea, the only speculation of what this particular gift is. Most scholars think it might be simply just the gift of administration and preaching. But no matter the gift, he was to keep it hot. He was to continue to keep the, the flame going. You know, this past week, I went to uh, Leavenworth, Washington with a group of pastors and, and church planters, and that meeting was phenomenal. It's one of the best that I've been to, Lead Summit. And inside where we, the dining area that we eat, there's a, there's a, a, a fireplace, you can access the, the, it from both sides, and there's always some guy there this week that was putting the wood on the fly, fire kind of taking the poker, adding more, adjusting it to keep the fire going and hot. And it's just a great reminder that, that you know, if, if we don't intentionally continue to maneuver and place and poke and prod aspects of what God has given to us that we can use for His purposes and use in ministry, it can grow cold. We need to continue to refine, we need to continue to train, we need to continue to work at the things that God has given us. And so we need to continue to fan the flame, but there's some reasons behind this. First of all, because of our relationships. Notice what Paul tells young Timothy. He writes, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy was to fan the flame because of the relationship that he had with the Apostle Paul. They had a spiritual son, spiritual father relationship. Paul had seen in his spiritual son the gifts and the equipment that God has given him. He's seen the calling in his life. Paul loved his son, and he wanted him to keep what God has called him to do hot and fresh, and based on this wonderful relationship, he wanted Timothy to continue on. Great, great encouragement. Notice what else he says. He says, thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So we see that the depth of this relationship, of this father-son relationship that Paul was reminding Timothy, I pray for you often and daily. Every time I pray, I lift you up. Why? Because it's hard, it's difficult, ministry's tough. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to lift you up. But he also says, as I remember your tears... I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. The depth of their relationship as Paul poured into Timothy and as Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus and as they were separating, I can imagine, you know, here Paul remembers the tears that was shed on Timothy's face. This relationship was close. It was tight. They loved one another. And this goodbye was very, very tough. But Paul 
wanted to make sure Timothy knew to keep it hot because Paul loved Timothy dearly. You see, you have people in your life who are your biggest cheerleaders. I can say without a shadow of doubt, whether it's Pastor Lynn, me, or Aaron, we want to cheer you on. We want nothing but your success. We want you to be everything that God has designed you to be. And we want to help you. We want to pour into you. Sometimes you may not like what we say. But we say it out of love and for your best interest. And we want to cheer you on because we want nothing but for you to succeed in all that God has placed in front of you. So keep it hot because of the relationships you have because we're cheering you on. We want to come alongside and help you any way that we can. We have wonderful, wonderful relationships within our church. And we're to keep each other warm and hot. So keep it hot because of your relationships. Paul also said to, because of your, his genuine faith. He says, I'm reminding of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. You see, Timothy's faith was a faith that was, I mean, when you saw Timothy, he was real. And that's what genuine faith is. Genuine faith is a real faith that's rooted in Jesus and demonstrated by the way we live. Just turn over sometime to Hebrews chapter 11. You'll see these words over and over and over again, by faith. And then there's a name, Enoch. Abel, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, David, and the like. People whose faith was so rooted within God, within Jesus, that it, that it, that it played itself out in the way that they lived. Timothy's faith was not fake. It was as real it could be. It wasn't hypocritical. And because of that genuine faith, Timothy was to keep it hot. Do you have that genuine faith? Do you realize that the object of our faith should be Jesus? And do you realize what Jesus has done for you? That he died on the cross at Calvary? He shed his blood for your sin and mine. And, to, and he offered us a salvation that we could not earn on our own. And he gave it to us graciously. The question is, will we receive it? I was sharing in my class this morning when I was 17, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I grew up 
you know, a boy that thought I could, you know, I thought I was a pretty good kid. I was a lover, not a fighter. But, you know, my goodness wasn't good enough. And when I was in Clovis Missionary Baptist Church and I heard the gospel for the first time, God began to work on my heart. He began to reveal to me that I'm a sinner in need of His grace. That I couldn't earn my place in heaven. That all the work that has been done was done in the person of Jesus Christ. The only thing I could do is acknowledge my sin, confess it before him, and trust him as my savior. Have you done that? From that day forward, as I began to walk with God, I mean, there's a lot of things I didn't know. I was 17, and eight-year-olds knew more Bible than I did. They were, in fact, some eight-year-olds were telling me simple Bible accounts like the flood story with Noah, right? Daniel and the lion's den. I had no idea those were in there. But again, I began to grow and my faith deepen, and it began to change me and transform me. And then God thought he would be hilarious and call me into the ministry. And my faith kept growing and deepening, and adversity would rise up. And those times that adversity rise up, you know what God did? Deepen my faith a little bit more. And he continues to refine me. Because really, genuine faith is a tested faith. Peter wrote, so that the tested genuineness, he's writing to Christians that have been scattered and they've been persecuted, and he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen the testing of metals? Like if you were to you, you test gold and its purity, they would put it in a pot, they would melt it down to liquid form. And then as they would pour, you know, pour it down to liquid form, all the impurities would rise to the top. It was called dross, and they would take the dross off. And they would do this multiple times in order to get the purest of purest gold or silver or whatever metal. And you see, what, what, what the adversity does in our lives, it puts our faith to the test, right? It like puts our faith to the test, and it really brings to the forefront <laughs> the impurities, and it kind of, you know, we kind of wipe it off, and it kind of becomes more genuine, more real. And a genuine faith is tested. And I hope and pray that when our life is tested, when we're advancing the gospel, and we're confronted with adversity, that God begins to just with that adversity, deepen our faith in Him, to trust Him, depend upon Him, that at the end of our life, it will be found unto His glory and His praise. Do you want that genuine faith? Don't quit. Keep what God has given you very, very hot. Know, well, I'm getting ahead of my sermon, but know whom you've been 
given your heart to. But also because of your spiritual heritage. Paul reminded Timothy, I'm reminding of your sincere faith, this genuine faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure that dwells in you as well. Timothy had learned the gospel from his mother and grandmother. He knew what real faith looked like. He knew how to handle adversity and difficult times. And Paul reminded them, look, keep it hot because remember who poured into you. Look at the legacy that is, that is left for you and continue in that legacy. I mean, think about it. You are someone's legacy. Someone has shared the gospel with you. That's the legacy they live, leave behind. You are the result of someone's legacy. And they didn't share that with you for you to quit, for you to stop, for you to turn away from Christ or God or His church. And the question will be, what legacy will you leave behind? Can, can I just, just for a moment, I'm, I'm going to stand on my soapbox just for a minute. And may I be so bold. Parents, bring your kids to church. If you don't make Jesus a priority, your kids won't either. If you're not faithful to God, they're going to think, what, what need is he? What, he's useless to me. And then we wonder, well, I wonder why my kids are the way they are. Make Jesus a priority. He should not be an option. He should be the first in all of our lives. I'm stepping down now. But what legacy are you leaving behind? But also keep it hot because of your ministry. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, and excuse me, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy had a great ministry: pastor, preacher, evangelist. God has equipped him for this ministry. And he needed to keep it hot. I think sometimes older pastors do younger pastors a disservice when all they talk about is the negativity of ministry. Amen. We talk about, oh, I get, I, you know, this church member, you know, chewed me out, or I was, you know, it's difficult, it's hard, it's, it's, you know, there's this I hate about it, that I hate about it, all this negativity, and young men are like, why would I even enter? Can I tell you about the blessings of ministry? 
Can I tell you about the time in which you can sit before another person and share Jesus who desperately needs it, and all of a sudden there's tears that roll from their eyes because they see their need, and they no longer have the, the, the uncertainty whether they're going to heaven or hell, but they trust Jesus knowing that one day they'll stand before Jesus face to face, and they have that hope in their heart. That's worth it. Yes, ministry is difficult, but there's more blessings than negativity. It's worth the good fight. Because literally, spiritual lives are on the line. So keep it hot. God has, has given you all who know Christ a ministry. Do you realize that we're all preachers? We're all proclaimers of His Word. And God has given each of you different personalities and we're so diverse that there's going to be people that you can reach that I cannot. But God can use you. You have a ministry to serve before a great and mighty God of declaring the gospel to help in its advancement. A kingdom outreach that will go beyond the walls of this building into our community and around the world. You can be a part. So keep it hot. Work at it. Learn. Grow. Refine. What God has given you to do. Be courageous. Be courageous. Because Paul told Timothy, for God gave us a, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So in keeping it hot, be courageous. Do you realize Joshua had an enormous task? He was following in the steps of Moses. Moses. I mean like Charlton Heston Moses. Right? Moses. The beloved leader of Israel. By the way, he wasn't beloved the whole time. But Joshua was his right-hand man. And Moses poured into Joshua. God poured into Joshua. And there was this transition. Moses died. And the very first thing that God tells Joshua, be courageous. And how to be courageous? Follow my word. Follow me. And be courageous. Do not fear. That's the same message for all of us. God didn't give us a spirit spirit of fear. When he saved us, he didn't want us to show signs of cowardice in ministry because he's given us the ability, the might, the power to do a work for him and to do it with love and to demonstrate self-control. God has equipped us for the task. Be courageous and keep it hot. Don't cower or be intimidated of the people and the things that oppose Christ. 
for greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Be courageous. Number two, how we guard, not only do we keep it hot, but we take a hit. Ooh, we take a hit. Ever heard of the phrase, a glass jaw? Ever get hit and a guy just like plunders down? And growing up, my dad, he didn't watch sports, but, but there's one thing he did watch, and that was boxing. And I remember times where it was either Sugar Ray Leonard or uh, Marvin Hagler, and there was others. But I remember sometimes it's like they walked into the ring and just hit the other guy and whoop. It's like the guy never took a hit in his life. And I remember when I was, uh, you know, in the Army, we, we learned to take some hits. kind of built you up, you know. And uh, it, 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 you have to learn to take a hit. Especially when we serve the Lord, we're going to take hits. We're going to be challenged. We're going to face adversity. We need to learn how to take it so we don't cower, so we continue to be courageous. And the first thing is, do not be ashamed. Paul says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Now, if there's anybody that has taken a hit, it's Jesus. You realize that Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He's God. But yet we find him in the garden, right? And, and the scriptures just kind of show that he's in a really deep emotional state in prayer. Where it talks about that his, his sweat were, as it were, great drops of blood. And he begins to pray, Lord, remove this cup from me. But not my will, but your will. If anybody is the example of taking a hit, it's Jesus. And we should not be ashamed of his testimony. Why not? He saved us. He died for us. We have life because of him. Why should we be ashamed? But you know what the world tries to do? It tries to intimidate us to be ashamed of Jesus. I've been reading recently, whether it's Kelsey Graham or others, you know, and I don't know exactly their full, but, but, you know, we start seeing some people beginning to step up and step out about their, their religious life, their spiritual life. And I praise God when, you know, people of influence can step up, says they are who they are because of Jesus. Amen. And you are who you are because of Jesus. And we don't need to be ashamed about that. And Paul goes on, he says, look, nor of me his prisoner. Now, he really emphasizes this because Paul's in prison, by the way, when he writes to Timothy. But Paul, but he's asking Timothy, Timothy, do not be ashamed because of my current state of affairs. I'm Jesus' prisoner. I'm his, and I'm in, I'm in bonds, and I'm in Rome. I'm, I'm, I'm writing to you. I want you to keep on keeping on. Even if I'm in prison, don't quit. Don't be ashamed. Do not be intimidated. But notice, but share in suffering, taking a hit for the gospel by the power of God. We have to be willing to suffer 
if need be for Jesus. I'm not saying we look for suffering. It will come all on its own. But we have to learn to take a hit, so don't be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. Notice in Hebrews chapter 11, remember, by faith, by faith, by faith. As God was raising up Moses, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Genuine, real faith. A boldness. A conscious, intentional decision that Moses was willing to suffer along with his people than to cave in to the culture that he was raised in. Do not be ashamed. We have to learn to take the hit. Because look at this. It is Jesus who saved us and called us to a holy calling. The creator of the universe, the savior of your soul, called. You answered, but for a purpose. We are saved to serve. We are to be his ambassadors and representatives here on earth. Do not be ashamed. Look, he did it because, not because of our works, because of his own purpose and grace. You know, it kind of just, you know, baffles my mind that God would even call me or use me. Who am I? Who am I? Who are you? But you realize he has a purpose for you? A purpose for you. Do not be ashamed. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So here's what we need to do. Not be ashamed, but be convinced about Jesus. Notice what Paul says. The gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. That was, that was Paul's ministry. Which is why I suffer as I do. Because of the calling of God in his life. I know whether it was in missionary training ministry and whether it's a world mission seminar, I know one of the things that that, and, and even, you know, some other books like Preventing Ministry Failure, one of the most critical things that a, a man can learn in ministry is to be sure of his calling. Because when times get hard, it's that calling that's going to keep you there. Because God has given you, given you a task. And God has a calling for our lives to be his ambassadors and, and, and gospel witnesses for him in the world which we have to be willing to suffer for, in which Paul says, uh, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed and I'm convinced 
that he is able to guard until that day what he has been entrusted, what he has been entrusted to me. So here what Paul is saying is, look, I know who Jesus is. He is everything to me. He has given me life. He has given me ministry. I know my calling. I'm sure. I have no doubts about who Jesus is, and I'm convinced that what he's entrusted to me, that he'll guard it. Remember when Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said he had that thorn in the flesh. We don't know really what that thorn is. Speculation might be that his eyesight was failing. Perhaps it was you know, preventing him in ministry. But, but what Paul, when he prayed, Lord, remove this from me. You know what God told him? No. My grace is sufficient. For when you are weak, I'll make you strong. Paul knew that. He was convinced that no matter what condition, no matter what circumstance he may face, he's, he's going to take the hit. He knows that he has an advocate, that he has a helper, that he has a cheerleader. He has someone that will empower him, and his name is Jesus. And as he did for Paul, he will do for you. So are you convinced of what Jesus can do for you? One of the, the, the most difficult truths that I've had to grasp with is that when I face difficult times, sometimes I felt like I was abandoned by God. Anybody ever felt that way? You know, you, like in circumstances, you're like, like well, God, where are you? And then I had to look to his word where God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And now when I face difficulty, even though I might feel, feel, like he's not there? I know he is. I'm convinced because he said it. And he fulfills his promises. Do you know Jesus in that way? Are you convinced that what he has promised is true? No doubt. It'll help us in times of taking that hit and suffering. But also in taking that hit, make sure that you follow the Bible. Paul told young Timothy, Follow the pattern of sound words. The idea of sound is that which is healthy, that is whole, that will, you know, bind and mend together, that's useful, that's good for you, right? Follow the pattern that Paul had invested in him based on the Word of God. Follow the pattern of sound words and in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus follow the Bible. Just like God had told Joshua, Joshua, be courageous. I got a task for you. Don't deviate from it, but follow the Word. Meditate in it day and night. It's going to be our source of comfort. It's going to be our source of strength. It's going to be very needed when the, 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 the wages of war come upon us. In this spiritual fight, the Word of God is going to be necessary and continue to read and react, respond, follow the Word of God. It'll be your help. Muhammad Ali said, I hated every minute of training, but I said, don't quit. Suffer now 
and, the, and live the rest of your life as a champion. I think that's kind of the message that Paul was giving Timothy. Guard. Don't quit. Keep your ministry hot. Keep what God has invested you going. Learn to take a hit, but keep going. When life knocks you down, stand back up. And live your life as a champion. He didn't like training much. Anybody like training? But it's so important. And I want to encourage you this morning. God has something special and wonderful for each of you to accomplish. Keep it hot. Take a hit, but don't quit. Don't quit. Because Jesus is worth our entire living and livelihood and energy we spend in sharing the gospel. Don't quit. Keep going. So this morning, if you'll stand with me, I am not sure how God is moving in your heart, but I want, to, I want you to consider this this morning for our invitation. First of all, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, Jesus has a plan for your life. He wants to use you, but he wants you to know that he loves you, he died for you, and he wants you to trust him. Will you trust him this morning? If you're here not knowing Jesus, I'd love for you to come. I'd love to share with you more about the gospel, about what God has intended for you, but just come. Maybe you're too shy to come forward, Pastor Lynn and and I, I will be out in the foyer. Just grab us. We'd love to talk to you more. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you know that God is calling you. Maybe it's to ministry. Maybe God has a specific burden that he's placed on your heart, a task for you to accomplish. Maybe it's time that you acknowledge and say, okay, God, I'll do it. surrender to it would you do that this morning maybe you've been sharing the gospel and you've been discouraged by responses can I encourage you just to keep going to keep sharing Apostle Paul said look I planted Apollos watered but it was God that gave the increase you just keep planting and, and watering and just allow God to handle the rest. But keep going. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. and If you'd like to come and kneel in prayer, feel free to do so. And may God do a wonderful work.
in your life and may he use you in a mighty way. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and grace. We thank you for the privilege of serving you. We thank you that you've taken this an unworthy people and given us the task of sharing the gospel to the world, of sharing the story of how you've impacted our life and how you can impact others. And Father, we pray that in and through our lives that you will receive the honor and glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.